Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Keen Gamer Podcast, Keen Gamer's official podcast. I'm your host this week, David Lozada. I'm joined with Sean Rabine. How are you, Sean? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well, Sean. Thank you. And I'm joined by a newcomer, Thomas. How are you, Thomas? I'm doing excellent today. Great. That's very good to hear. We have a pretty packed episode this week. We have about 10 news items to get through, and then we're going to be talking about loading times in the next console generation, so that's exciting. But before we get into that, Thomas, I want you to introduce yourself, The how you got into gaming, you know, your your professional history with gaming, uh, the platforms that you primarily play on, and uh, why you love video games. So what, what makes you uh, so keen on playing video games and video uh, gaming? I get that. Hey, <laughs> hey. I had to work that in somehow. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I just, like many people, you know, I just kind of started as like a kid. Like my uh, my mom was actually the person that got me into gaming. Just, I don't know, we had like an N64 in the house and then my grandmother had an NES. And those are kind of like what I grew up on. Um, from there, it's just, uh, you know, I've just jumped into anything and everything I can get my hands on. Um I mean, my my, fa- my all-time favorite consoles are probably the N64, um, and then, I mean, kind of probably the Xbox as well, like the original Xbox just had some really great games on it too, um, and then, you know, as of now, my primary consoles are pretty much the Xbox One, um, I, I, I have my PS4 that I use for exclusives, but um, my Xbox One's where I do primary uh, gaming right now. Um, as far as professional stuff goes, uh, I do write for King Gamer. Um, uh, I used to write for a site called OnlySP, um, which has unfortunately had to um, close down. But uh, it, that was also a really great time while I was there. But yeah, it's uh, good to be here now, though. Yeah, for sure. And we're very happy to have you here. We're always happy to see new, fresh faces and uh, you know hear more opinions because... God, I God help me. I'm really tired of hearing Sean's opinion all day. So, oh, <laughs> my opinion is beautiful. Your opinion is paramount to everyone else's opinion. It brings the nation together. It does. It it's truly does. Need in these times, yeah. It's, especially in these trying times. You're right, Thomas. Exactly. Right. A few items of housekeeping this week. We have a Last of Us Part Two spoiler cast coming out next week. It's a King Gamer podcast special, so stay tuned for that. It's going to be very exciting. Just a reminder that if you want to skip ahead to the news, we're going to talk about the games we're playing next, but if you want to skip ahead to the news, check out the timestamps in the this uh, podcast's description. It should be on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on King Gamer, uh, the actual website itself, on the our, our article there. And uh, another reminder, you can email us at timehop.com podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions about the show if you're interested in joining the show uh and if you have questions we'll read your questions on the show and uh we'll have a good time together all right guys let's talk about the games we've been playing this past week thomas since you're the newcomer here i want you to start us off talk to us about some of the games that you've been playing i know you've been playing a relatively new game tell us about that one uh, so yeah, so obviously without, uh, giving anything away, um, I've been playing The Last of Us 2, uh, which is just far and away, like, you know, 
within the first couple of hours of that game, my I was already mind blown and just had no idea. Like my preconceptions of the game were completely blown out of the water. So um, it's absolutely fantastic for those that maybe still on the fence about it. Um, outside of that, um, I'm also playing Persona Five right now. I never got around to playing it. I know, which is kind of like weird because most people have, but um, I got the Royal Edition and have just been uh, tearing through it. Probably on my third palace now. Yeah, the nice. third palace that's in the game. So that's uh, it's bank, right? It's, it's the yeah, the Crime Lord. I want to say. I believe that's who it is, but yeah, it's yeah. uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Like the game's just, it, I was kind of turned away at first. The reason I didn't play it a lot was um for the fact that it, like I'm I'm not a big fan of like turn-based combat, um, but they just do it so fluid in this game. Yeah, um, and just within you know within the first hour or so, I had already gotten the hang of it and like gotten into it. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah, Persona Five is just. One of those JRPGs that I feel like it's truly one of the best JRPGs ever made. Um, there's just it's so dense, you know, and Absolutely. there are very few RPGs in modern history that kind of match its level of quality. So yeah, that's that's definitely yeah. going to be fun for you to kind of dive in and explore. I think more. I think another thing that's like really appealing about it is that it's partial like student simulator yeah 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you get to kind of like live like the student the japanese student life a bit you know like obviously there's like the overarching like you know steal the hearts and everything but like in your spare time it's like oh you've got to study you've got to do this you've got to go hang out with your friends you've got to like blah 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 so Mm -hmm. like it's just a really great game question is though have you picked out your waifu yet because if you're three palaces in you better pick one soon like Ah, uh, yeah. That's I, probably not all of them. I mean, like, so I have Royal, so, like, Kazumi is, like, she's, like, the new character, I guess, right? Because right. I didn't play the original, so I, I think she's one of the new characters that was introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually, I, I'm really liking Kazumi. Uh, obviously, An is, like, the one that they kind of try to push on you as, like, the first, like, female character you get to hang out with and all that. Yeah, so, they, they try to push Kazumi is definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know anything about Kazumi because I didn't play the Royal Edition, but that's the wrong choice, so I'm sorry. But oh, no. That's one she, demerit. She's an acrobat, though. You can't go wrong with an acrobat. They're like, all acrobats. The they do acrobatic <laughs> stuff inside the dream world, you know? It's all... all, right. all I, right. I like Kazumi. I don't. I didn't play Royal yet. I, I do intend to play Royal, but I, I like her. I don't think she's that bad i don't think she's like I, I don't even remember what's her name harumi the one with the the tea girl the posh curly hair yeah 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 eh. i don't like her she's fine she's right? not like, eh. she's the worst she's well by far the worst <laughs> come on and she's she's so bland i mean like she's she's by far the worst i mean obviously kazumi is nowhere near that level of just terribleness so no she she she's pretty great she so she's like she's like your uh you're her superior so like she comes to you for like guidance and everything it's kind of how like the whole introduction works um and then you know obviously she's she's like an honor student and she's like the star on the acrobat team and all that and so like the whole thing is you know prior to her joining um 
the Phantom Thieves with you. She is just kind of like teaches you acrobats. So like some of those interactions are actually quite comical where you, you know, as the MC, you're, you're sitting there like, Oh God, I can't do this. Like, Oh my God, please stop. I'm going to die. Like my body doesn't bend that way type of things. Hmm. Interesting. I do. I I really want to see how this, how Kazumi kind of affects the overall story. Cause if it seems like from what you're telling me, she's a pretty actually vital role in this, in the, you know, overall arc. I did hear that Persona 5 Royale is like kind of like a complete overhaul of Persona 5 in that it's a similar story. I mean, it's, it's almost copy and pasted, but they're very, it, they, they really, you know, went through it with a, with a comb and, and just kind of took out the stuff that they, that they didn't want and uh, put in more quality goodness that, that was based on fan reception. So, yeah, so like, I mean, like you said, was, like it's an overhaul. Like in the palaces, for instance, they you now have like a grappling hook so oh. that is that helps you traverse around, which hmm. was not in the original Persona Five. So like they definitely had to go through and like add new areas and like change the way that you can travel around inside of um you know the uh, metaverse. So like it's it's they definitely put more work into it than just like. A remaster, maybe a little bit better on the graphical quality and all that. I didn't know that, actually. I didn't know about the hook. That's cool. That's really cool. Sean, I know you are also playing Persona games, right? Or rather, a Persona game. What Persona game are you playing? Uh, well, I've already played Persona 5, so Persona 4 came out on Steam last week. Uh, so I picked that up, like, right away. And that's Persona 4 The Golden which only came out on the Vita. So I think Persona 4 The Golden is like the same thing as Persona 5 Royale, where it's like a an overhaul of the game and adds new stuff and all that thing. Um, I actually haven't played it. I assumed I would. That's why I put it on there. But I haven't touched it yet. So it's, it's being played in the future. Yes. It's <laughs> theoretically being played. It's being played very well because I'm an expert gamer. So You're thinking about it a lot. So you're practically playing it in your mind. I, I do feel bad for not playing it. Whenever I'm not playing, I'm like, I should be playing Persona 4 rather than <laughs> doing whatever I'm did doing. Did you play it? Did you play it when it was on the Vita? No. I have never played Persona. Persona 5 was my first Persona game. Okay, uh, cool. If we're in the same boat. <laughs> which people have told me was the, was a bad idea just because Persona, Persona 5 kind of adds a lot of quality of life improvements. So going backwards can kind of be like, oh, God, this is hard but i'm sure i'll be fine i'll be okay mm. but i think you'll be all right yeah. yeah yeah instead of persona 4 i was playing uh, a little game called ori and the will of the wisps which is the sequel to ori and the blind forest i think it was called yeah um mm -hmm. yeah this takes place after the events of the last game and just like the first game it is a heavy mix of adorable cuteness and joy and soul-crushing despair because not everything lasts forever. And it's like, you, oh, you got to deal. Some things, some things will die, and you don't want them to, but that's just part of life. Um, yeah, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I'm loving the game. I, I always like Metroidvania games. Uh, this one is heavily movement-based. Most 
feels like most of the abilities you get are things that help you move in a different way. And they're all, they all kind of work in uh, conjunction with each other. So, like, it's not just like, okay, here's the room where you have to do the double jump to get through. Here's the room where you have to do the um, the bash to get through. And those happen, but mostly what will happen is, like, all right, in this room, you need to double jump onto the wall, wall jump off of that, make sure to do the grappling hook, jump over to the bash, go up, then throw a fireball there and bounce off of that and land on the platform above. And all hap- and it sounds like a lot when I describe it, but it's not. It all flows really fluidly. And I, I'm able to do things I feel like I want to be able to do in other games if the controls are different. I would say hmm. combat is a little bit less in terms of quality compared to the movement stuff. Uh, but it's, to, it's still workable. I'm still doing fine with it. And when I'm in the groove with it, I can, I can do some really you know, amazing stuff. Uh, how far into the game are you? There's um, The reason I ask is there's a boss pretty early into the game, I guess, that's absolutely annoying to have to deal with. I have just finished... I'm at the part where you have to find the four wisps that are kind of scattered, and I have found... Okay. The one that was down in the dark with the spiders. Because there's got to be a spider level. You went for that one first? Okay. Yeah. Well, I went for the desert one first, but there wasn't... It's like, oh, no, you can't be up here. you got to go to the other ones first. I'm like, Ah, Yeah, I did that same thing because it's like... It's basically like you just keep going from where you are. Exactly. You just keep going. Yeah, so I was like, oh, let me do this one first. And then you get all the way there and it's like, nope, turn around. Turn around, around, (laughs) dum-dum, you need the other ones. I'm like, what? Um, so I did the spider one first and then I did the, the snowy peaks one next. Okay. okay. Um, and I, I, so far I'm loving the boss fights in the game. I haven't faced a boss that I've really hated. A couple of them are just kind of like run away from it type bosses. And they, mm-hmm. that, they might show up again. Cause I like, I haven't like killed them or anything like, like that. I kind of just get away. Um, I know there's one that kind of just keeps popping up every now and again to kind of pester me. Uh, right. It, it seems like it's the main antagonist, even though it doesn't really have a specific interest in you. It, it's just, it's always in the way, it seems. Um, <clears throat> Arch nemesis rival type yeah. situation. Yeah. Yeah. Considering its actions, it, it makes sense that uh, I would hate it. Mm. Um. Well, I think the next one I want to do is the one that's like far to the west. I think it's like the tropical or the water one. Yeah, so that's that's the boss that I was I was saying is oh. kind of annoying. I I mean I personally had like trouble with it, and then as I took to the internet, I realized I was not the only one. Thankfully, <laughs> um, it just it's I've, I mean the game is polished, so it's not a broken like difficult in like a bro the game's broken sense. But it's more like a, oh my god, like just like getting all the way through it because there's multiple stages to it, you know. Mm-hmm. It asks a lot of you, I guess. Yeah. 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 But also, the game is gorgeous. I mean, my god, that game is just stunning to look at, and very, I would say, very effective artwork because it's like all the things that are meant to be cute are super cute. All the things that okay. are meant to be scary are absolutely terrifying. Like, it's all very effective. It's like, okay, yeah, you delivered on what you were intending. And this everything is just so nicely detailed. And everything feels like 
the, the term is like lived in. Like it's not like I'm walking through a set. Like I'm walking through a world, and um, I, I'm having a blast with it. So um, I'll probably be playing it more. And once I finish it, chances are I'll play Persona Four. Although I did uh, pick up a game called Grifflands, which I want to touch, and a free game called Helltaker. But that's supposed to be a short game. So I'm sure eventually this week I'll get to Persona Four. You've been thinking about it a lot, so I've been that counts for something. Lot. That that counts <laughs> for uh, playtime. It, it's counted on Steam. It does, right? Yeah, and, yeah. That, that's what makes the Persona games over a hundred hours. You know, exactly. They actually take <laughs> roughly five hours to beat physically, but you think about them a lot. Um, it becomes a lifestyle, pretty much. You mm-hmm. know, just swallows your life whole. So that was the only game I played. Yeah. All right, that's okay. Highly that's recommend. Good experience, yeah. As for me, I have also been playing Last of Us Part 2, just like Thomas. I won't say much about it, but I will say that, like you, Thomas, I have not completed the game. I'm about a fourth of the way in, maybe a little more, maybe a third. And it's I, I wouldn't consider it to be an enjoyable experience, and you can you can harp you could chime in whenever you want, Thomas. I I don't think it's enjoyable. I am not happy when I am playing the game, but I am enthralled. I am in ca- captivated by it. Um, maybe that's a better yeah. word. I would say that that does mean it's enjoyable. It's just not fun. Yeah, or happy. So yeah, it's it's hard. So it's like it's weird to put like to think about games because usually when you you hear the word games like you're thinking of like i'm gonna go play that and have some fun you know like i'm gonna go turn on a game of apex and just like you know have a blast with some friends or something and so like the last of us is more like a cinematic experience like think of like like think movies like you don't just go into a theater and watch every movie for fun like there are some movies that are not meant to be fun like 1917 isn't meant to be fun like that's a movie that yeah. you watch and you're like you're there to experience something, right? Right. And I think The Last of Us can be put in that same thing. That that's not meant to say like, oh, I can't enjoy The Last of Us or I can't enjoy 1917 for instance, but it's it's not so much for enjoyment, it's for experiencing what, you know, it is that was put together for you. Pretty much. Right. Maybe maybe the word enjoy, maybe I misused the word enjoy. I I what I do mean to say is as you as you put uh sean it's not fun and uh, you know i'm I'm not i don't have a smile on my face when i'm playing i do at some moments though there are some comical moments kind of uh, hidden away whether it be optional dialogue or what have you or little signs and collectibles that you find uh it 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 does kind of it, it it speaks to humanity i guess in the dual nature of humanity how at what some parts can be so gruesome and vile and you can't believe that they actually exist. And then yet there are other parts of us that seem so childlike, so innocent. It, it, it's, it is a very much a game about the dual nature of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like the game itself, the visuals are just astounding. Uh, it, my, I know my PS4 is humming like uh, a, a jet engine <laughs> whenever I have this game playing. I don't know about you, Thomas, but... 
so I'm I'm running on the slim, uh, uh-huh. the PS4 slim. Uh, I haven't heard the PlayStation, but I also have a headset on while I'm playing. So who knows if that thing's going wild? I have a headset on too, actually, and I I was just curious. I, I took it off and I started playing the game just with my TV's audio, and I I, I couldn't play it. I just couldn't play. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. So I noticed there are some parts where it's like, it kind of has like a 3D audio effect. I don't know if you guys have heard those before. Yeah. Um, you know, where it's like, you can hear the sounds as if they were like right next to you or like in that certain direction and stuff. And so like, I, there was like a moment last night that I was playing and I, I literally turned to my right because I thought I had heard something outside of the game next to me. And it was from the game though. It, it was absolutely astounding. Yeah, I, I get those moments whenever I'm in a corridor with clickers or runners where the clicker is doing its sonar wave noise, right? And it's like behind me and I didn't notice it. I, I don't use listen mode very often. I I don't like it very much. I kind of think it's if the game plays better if you play it like uh like in like in real life. Um without Yeah, the, the listen mode's almost kind of like a superpower that can kind of break the immersion a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I try to use it uh not very sparingly. So yeah, I, I kind of went into because the game is very big. Um you know the the more you get into it, I think the bigger it becomes. So there there are some sections that feel like entire open world games. And you could be exploring a corridor or an abandoned store or whatever, open a door and there's a clicker there, like right in front of you, or a clicker somewhere uh, within that hallway that you just don't see yet. And I, I, I kind of like using the audio to, to kind of point me in the direction of where that clicker or runner is. I think the runners sometimes are even more disturbing because they're they're yelling in place or they're yelling in, in kind of a patrol um, lines, because uh, as you might, uh, people who don't who don't know uh, Last of Us lore, runners are pe- like just people that were infected, right? That are kind of combating, or or they're inter- They have like an internal struggle. Struggle. They're fighting the the fungal on their head, so they still have some kind of human consciousness, but they're um, like constantly screaming because they're writhing in pain. Um, which is fun. <laughs> and and uh, other mechanical things I noticed were the characters, the 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 facial animations are so good. The the I, I love how the eyes of the characters dart. Uh like they like in, in some instances with Dina, more intimate instances with Dina and Ellie. Dina is it's not a spoiler, Dina is kind of Ellie's love interest in the game. Dina kind of looks toward Ellie's hand or looks into her eyes and it, it, it feels so human. It feels, I think it kind of really underlines that theme of humanity and uh, it's just, it's really great. Yeah. I think that paired with the, um, I like, so yes, the facial animations are great. I think also it pairs well that the body animations look very real. Right. Because Honestly, um, most of the time when you're playing a game, the first thing you'll notice that makes something seem off about like a character model is going to be the way their body moves. And this one has like, like, you know, the way characters are walking, it looks like an actual person walking or, you know, there'll be times where like Ellie will like 
lean against like a door frame or something and it's just like the way her body slouches and it's like it just they they nailed not only the facial but also the whole body itself the yeah. body language yeah you could kind of tell a lot about a character just by them standing still or or uh I, I, again i i always come back to the runners because i i feel like the runners are such a interesting aspect to just the lore and some runners in particular I, I i don't know if you've noticed this but the ones that i think scream the most are the ones that are just standing in place and they're looking down um and and i feel like they in particular are the ones that are having you know that that are fighting against the the fungus the most or rather like the fungus has just started kind of taking over their body and so they're kind of like panicking in place whereas like the other runners they they do scream and stuff like that but they're kind of they've kind of their bodies have kind of more accepted it whereas um yeah like it, it's just this interesting dichotomy between the two i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into it but uh just everything about this game is is so enthralling and again it, it's not a fun game it, it, it i can't recommend it to everyone it's, it's, it's weird to like so this is one of those games where it's really weird to like try to describe it to somebody because like i was saying earlier it's it's kind of easy to just kind of like you know hey this game's fun and like that's how you usually describe a game to somebody um just but with this one it's not, like you said it's not fun but that doesn't mean it's bad like it's not bad at all like it's a wonderful game but it's just not fun. Like it's it's different. A piece of art, and if we want games to be accepted as art, we need to accept this rule: is that art doesn't have to make you walk away being happy. Like exactly. it can just make you feel something. And if it does that, as a, there there was a German word for it. And I can never remember what it is. I can never find it. So maybe I made it up. But it's a word that basically means the enjoyment of feeling sorrow from a third person. Said basically reading something that's like really sad. Or watching something that's really scary. Just doing something to experience negative emotions from a safe distance, basically, and enjoying that whole process. And I think that's pretty much what applies to this game, even though I haven't played it. It sounds like, I, what I sound like, you know, you, you can choose the word enjoy or fun and all that stuff. At the end of the day, is it a good game? And I, from what I gather from both of you, it is a good game. So, yeah. It's definitely a good game. I think the German word for that, Sean, is sadism. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's that's experiencing (laughs) negative emotion from a further perspective. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's a great game. I mean, it's not... Again, to harp on on another or an earlier part that I made, I, I don't think I can recommend it to everyone. I think The Last of Us, the original game was much more straightforward in, in its narrative design. And although it had its sad moments, most of it was built on hope. This game just feels hopeless throughout. And I, I, I don't feel like, I feel like there are some people out there who are just, they just don't need that. You know, they just psychologically should not uh, give into that. So yeah, if you're, if you're one of those people that just, I don't want to say the word triggered, but you know that that is easily upset by violence or or likes to see the silver lining in things. I, I don't I don't think you'll find much of that here, and and you know you you can't come kind of take away a lot here. I think it'll it, a lot of the times when I when I'm done playing, I feel like 
sad, you know, I when I'm playing this game. Like, I just feel, I don't know, just just not great. And it, it's not a testament, again, not a testament to mechanics, not a testament to the way to design this game at all. It's just the story is very morose. Um, but I won't belabor that point. If you want to know more about my opinions regarding The Last of Us Part Two, you can listen to our spoiler cast, which will uh, air next week. I will have a bunch of writers joining me for that podcast, so stay tuned for that. I also played Uncharted 4. Not much to say there. I didn't get much farther in that game. Very, uh, very enjoyable game. <laughs> very kind of like the opposite of The Last of Us Part Two. Um, it's it, it's very nice jovial. You know, it, there's just like the characters, you know, uh, joking about each other all the time, and and uh, just a good time overall. <laughs> The uh, the spectrum of Naughty Dog. <laughs> how how much. would you rate this game on a scale of Uncharted Four to The Last of Us Part Two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, it, it's it's really weird to be playing Last of Us Part Two after Uncharted Four. It, it's just such a weird kind of uh, uh, navigating two emotions. You know, I'm kind of caught in between these two very big emotions. All right, guys, let's move into news of the week. This is the part of the show where we dive into the biggest news stories that happened this past week. Our first news story this week is about CD Projekt Red and Cyberpunk 2077. To be more specific, Cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed. According to IGN, CD Projekt Red has announced that Cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed from September 17th to November 19th. In a letter from the studio, co-finder Marcin... Iwinski and head of studio Adam Badowski explained how they'll be ready when it's done. And it is not just a phase we say, not just a phrase they say, because it sounds right. It's something they live on even when they know they'll take the heat for it. Uh, they continued, at the same time we are writing these words, Cyberpunk 2077 is finished both content and gameplay wise. The quests, cutscenes, skills, and items, all the adventures Night City has to offer it's all there. So, given the studio's remarks, are you disappointed by the news? Do you want to play the game as, as early as you can? Or are you kind of more in the line of accepting the news? Just want to be, you just want the game to be as great as it can be. Thomas, how about you? You start us off. What is your opinion on uh, Cyberpunk 2077's delay? So, so to preface this, I, Cyberpunk is probably my favorite um, genre across mediums, um, whether it's books or movies or, you know, obviously games. Like, I am quite a large Cyberpunk fan. Um, so I've been looking forward to this one for quite a while. Um, I'm I'm not so disappointed in that we've had a delay already. Um, I So back when they delayed it from April, um, I'm kind of more disappointed now. Because I'm thinking about the fact that, like, I could have been playing it now <laughs> if it had come out in April. Um, but, you know, the delay from September to November for me is, like, obviously that's still off in the distance. And right now I still have, like, you know, The Last of Us that I'm playing and these different things. So for me right now, it's not so much a disappointment. And I know that with the delay means the game's just going to be, you know, two months better than it would have been if it came out in September. I agree. Uh, Sean, what do you make of this? I think you are also in the same boat of Thomas, right? You're super excited for this game. Yes, I am super excited. Um, 
mostly because it's CD Projekt Red, uh, and I love the Witcher series that they put out. I'm, of course, I'm disappointed. You know, I wanted to come out sooner rather than later, but I'm not mad at them. Like if they're just they're continuing continuing doing the polish, that's fine. That's you know they're not Bethesda. They're not going to release an unfinished game. Let us bug test it for them. So, you know, <clears throat> if they have to delay it a couple months again, that's fine. If we get near November and they delay it again, at that point I might be a little bit ticked off. Yeah. You you get basically two delays from me before I'm like, okay, what's going on? Are you guys just going to inch it forward until it releases in the actual year 2077? Is that what's going on? <laughs> um, it's like... It's 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 just that that would be a bummer. But as it is, I'm fine with it. You know, uh, the only way I'd be annoyed at this point is if another game I really want to play is announced to come out around the same time, and then I have to decide which of the two games to play first. And that like that happened like last year in early 2019. Like a bunch of games came out that I really wanted to play all around the same time. I'm like, I don't know what to do with myself. I can imagine that there will be a lot of games to play this November, considering that it's November, <laughs> right? Yeah. They have well, new console launches, too. Maybe new that's why they chose yeah. November, because chances are the new console will come out in late November. That's Historically, that's when they've been released, right? Right around the holiday season? Yeah, yeah. Right. it's usually November, I want to say. Yeah, so maybe that was their plan all along. Probably not, but I'm sure, I'm sure they're like... Hey, we need to delay this for more bug testing. How long should we delay it? Let's, let's aim for November. Then that way we can release near the consoles. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be interested to see what their sales are. I, I think they'll they'll perform well, but I guess we'll 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 see. You know, if it is as well as we predict, um, simply because it does have a lot of com- competition. We can only imagine that there's going to be a Call of Duty coming out in November this year, right? Uh, I think the, the rumor is Call of Duty Cold War, so it's kind of like a Black Ops type of uh, type of game, and we have other games like Assassin's Creed. What is it called? Odyssey. Valhalla. Uh, Valhalla. The, Valhalla. The, the, Odyssey oh, yeah. was the the Greek one. Yeah, mm-hmm. Valhalla is coming out. I think Spider Man's coming out too. The Mile, Miles Morales. Uh, yeah, that's game this year. Yeah. So there's just a lot, you know, coming out later towards the end of this year and I don't know if that's going to affect them somehow. I'd be I'd be a little worried actually, you know. I I honestly think they probably would have done better like I mean on in a financial setting the game would have done better had they released in April partially because of the entire quarantine thing. Yeah. Um, and there weren't very many like large scale games that released you know right before quarantine started to set in. So, you know, we we could have all had you know, cyberpunk this entire time playing it and nothing better to do. Whereas, you know, obviously later into the year, hopefully things have started to actually get opened up again. And, you know, it's like, like we were just saying, like there's going to be a ton of other stuff out at that time. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree. I mean, earlier this year, I mean, look at this, the sales success of uh, animal crossing new horizons. That game was it's been knocking out of the park ever since it released, and I think that does have to do in part with coronavirus and how everything was just basically, you know, shut down yeah. right around the time that that game came out. 
the same thing with Final Fantasy VII Remake. I, that game actually had more sales digitally than it did physically. And, of course, that had something to do, that had a lot to do with coronavirus, right? Mm-hmm. So I agree with you, Thomas. I think that it, it would have done very well if it released this spring as opposed to um, releasing in the fall of this year. But, of course, we can't say that for certain considering how it's not fall yet, you know? <laughs> so right. that remains to be seen. But I, I am a little worried. Uh, it is a new IP, too. Don't forget that. So new yeah. IPs are always... Uh, you, we never really know what the reception is uh, regarding them, so... Well, with Cyberpunk, it's, it's less that you're playing a new story. It's more that you're playing the genre. So as long as they nail the whole Cyberpunk experience, I think it'll be fine as an IP. Yeah, I mean, it also has the pedigree of CD Projekt Red behind yeah. it, right? So yeah. if, if, you know, if you know The Witcher, you're probably going to buy this game. If you're a fan of The Witcher, you're probably going to buy this game. You know, if you're, if you're a fan of CD Projekt Red's business practices and they're um, very pro-gamer uh, morale or, or messaging, then you're probably going to buy this game. So there's no worries there. It's just, I th- I'm thinking in, in the eyes of the general consumer, you know, like th- they'll have so many options this November that it, I don't know if it'd be worth it to them, but who knows? Mm-hmm. More CD Projekt Red news, or rather specifically Cyberpunk 2077 news. CD Projekt Red confirmed that there's going to be a free, more robust, quote-unquote, next-gen upgrade arriving on PS5 and Xbox Series X in 2021. As reported by Gematsu, the news was revealed in a conference call conducted by the developer earlier this week. CD Projekt Red CEO Adam Kaczynski answered questions in the wake of the, November, in the, of the game's November delay, which was also revealed earlier this week. So what do you make of free next-gen upgrades coming next year, not at launch? Do you think that that'll affect the the sales of the game, uh, Sean? Uh, probably not. I mean, from what I can gather, it sounds like you're going to get the upgrade. Like, if you buy it on PS4, it'll be playable on PS5, and there will be an update that will make it more, like, it takes more advantage of the PS5's hardware. So it'll look better, is my guess is what they say. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on what they're um, uh, delivering here, but it yeah. sounds good. Yeah, yeah they're, they're a little vague in, like, the, what the upgrade means. Like, does that mean, like, you know, we're getting an actual PS5 and Series X, like, addition? Or is it more just, like, you know, like a 4K asset upgrade or, like, you know, update for, like. yeah. you know, so... Um, I do know that should it be a Series X, you know, a full, like, next-gen actual release, that the Series X offers the smart delivery. So on that front, you know, uh, I don't think they would, like, the sales aren't really going to increase due to that because it's just going to be, like, you know, anybody that has it for the Xbox One is just going to get the Series X version for free. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I I'm just... Again, I'm kind of putting myself in the mind of the general consumer here, and I'm kind of just thinking, you know, if if you could slap on that PS5 Xbox Series X logo on it on the game, you know, or or rather just some kind of insignia saying, hey, yeah, this is compatible with, you know, uh, I mean, it is compatible, right? But like it, it's been enhanced for PS5 and 
Xbox Series X. I, I, I'm just thinking, I'm a marketing guy. So I, I'm thinking from that perspective, it, it, for it to come next year, it seems like it's kind of, it's great, you know, for us, again, for hardcore, quote unquote, gamers like us, it's, it's great to know that they're going to give us that 4K resolution upgrade that, uh, you know, in, enhanced audio, whatever. Well, I'm playing but, on PC, so it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is all moot. Right. It's, it's also, it's also strange that they're like, like, they just moved the delay, you know, to November, like in that, like, next gen launch window, but then it's not for the reason that we're getting a launch, you know, version of the game for the next gen. Like, I mean, initially that would have been my thought process was, okay, they just delayed it to November. So that probably means, you know, we're getting that next gen version as well but that doesn't seem to be the case. So it's just kind of, it's really strange. It, it makes them seem like they're missing the boat. And yeah, I, I get why they did this was because they had a deal of, you know, bad news to announce so that they wanted to kind of counteract that bad news with good news. A lot of companies do this all the time, you know, and, and it, that makes perfectly perfect sense. You know, you kind of announce the bad news first, you get it out of the way and then you, you you know, you, you put a good taste in people's mouths and you make them excited for the game again. So I, I get that logic, but I would have announced something else, you know, like I would have announced a new feature in the game. There, I, I think that this game is just so dense that uh, there's plenty to announce <laughs> regarding it. There, there's like Grimes is in it. I think the most, to, this is a, a tangent, but one of the reasons why I'm excited for the game is because Grimes, I love Grimes. And uh, she's like playing this. It was like some kind of leak a while ago, and she's playing this pop star or something. That she's she's an artistic pop star, and she kind of offs herself in a crowd in a crowded uh, concert. And then it's part of like the piece. It's part of the art show. And then she has people recreate her, or, or rather, transport her consciousness into a robot on stage. It sounds wild. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So I actually didn't even realize she was in the game. I knew she was part of the uh, soundtrack. I didn't know she was going to be in the game, though. That's pretty cool. That, that's just a rumor. Uh, I don't. I don't okay. know. Sorry <laughs> if I spoiled anything. That's but... a, that's a very complex rumor, though. Like, yeah, <laughs> like very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope people aren't making that up because if you do, you, you have way too much time on your hand. Uh, you know, thinking about pop stars getting murdering themselves on stage, but. Regardless, uh, I, I, I'm still excited for the game. doesn't kill my excitement for it. Uh, and I think you guys, too, are all, we're all very excited for the game. So CD Projekt Red, please deliver on our very high, lofty expectations. <laughs> Moving on to our third news story this week. The Guinness World Records has reinstated a number of classic video game world records held by Billy Mitchell, the controversial Billy Mitchell. The move comes just after... Just over two years after Mitchell's records were expunged following an investigation by Twin Galaxies International Scoreboard, which partners with Guinness, with Guinness to adjudicate video game records. Twin Galaxies has not changed its positions on Mitchell's records, resulting in a split between the two record tracking organizations. Guinness now once again recognizes Mitchell as the first player to achieve a perfect Pac-Man score of 3 million 333,360 points in 1999, and the first player to reach 1 million points in Donkey Kong in 2005. Mitchell says, it's been a long time coming. 
according to an interview with Ars Technica. Are you annoyed by this decision, guys, uh, of Giznis to kind of reverse their decision regarding Mitchell? Does Mitchell deserve uh, this 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 new reinstatement? Thomas, start us off. Do you, are you familiar with Mitchell's scandal, and are you annoyed by this decision? Um, uh, yeah, so I am familiar with it, and I'm not annoyed with it. Um, I mean, he, he sure he's not like. From what I've seen, he doesn't seem to be like the world's most stand-up guy. Um, He's a dick. But that doesn't mean that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but it doesn't mean that like he didn't be get those records and he doesn't deserve it. Just because somebody might you might not like somebody doesn't mean like they don't deserve what they you know what he's earned. Like he did get those scores, um, and I mean I I was looking at a couple of articles about this when it came out and like. Like, one of the things that I saw was that this, like, his scores are some of the most, um, like, investigated and, like, you know, like, well-documented high scores in history. So it's, like, it doesn't make sense that, you know, for him to have done this and then them retract it and then come back and be like, yeah, it's actually legitimate. Like, it, it doesn't annoy me. I think he deserves the the, uh, the records for it. Sean, do you share uh, in Thomas' sentiment? Well, it's it's a mixed feeling thing because, for one, Guinness only reinstated a couple of his records, not all of them, just the ones that are like that were done in public on a machine and stuff like that. Anything that was like done at like a minor event, I don't think they put back in. Um, someone also pointed out in the comments that you know having eyewitnesses doesn't really matter because. If he fiddled with the machine, an eyewitness isn't going to know the difference. Like it's not, it's not going to act radically differently. Cause like when they found this out, like they looked at like footage and like they compared the side of us. Like I've seen the YouTube videos of it. And it's like, it's very hard to tell the difference. And, but I don't have the eye of like a speed runner or a record holder or whatever that these uh, YouTube groups are. Uh, it's also really easy to hate Billy Mitchell. He's, Really a douchey character. Like, let me put it this way. He's the kind of guy who would probably own a tiger if he could. That's the kind of guy Billy Mitchell is. It, so it's it's easy to hate him, and so it's easy to disbelieve any evidence that says he didn't cheat. And I think that's what happened a lot, a lot of people. It's like, well, no, he of course cheated. He's Billy Mitchell. He's a dick. Of course he cheated. There, I, I believe... At the very least, early on in his career, he did not cheat. That he does have the skills to play these games, and he plays them well. I think it is possible, but I'm not saying definitively if it is what happened. I think it's possible that he might have sort of juked the stats and made some edits to the hardware in order to maintain his high position because he seems like he has a very fragile ego. And if, that, if he gets knocked off that pedestal, even down to second place, it's going to freak him out. So I'm not really annoyed by it just because I don't care about the records. Like, if he's the best or not, it doesn't matter to me. I'm sure someone who's involved in this community would probably be annoyed because Billy Mitchell doesn't exactly have a lot of people on his side. But the people he does have on his side are all, like, official Twin Galaxy people, so it's a little bit like, yeah, sketchy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you bring up a good point, Sean, in that 
we kind of have to separate the man from the records <laughs> yeah. in this case. Uh, and I, I'm not a fan of Bill and Mitchell either. I, I don't think there are very few people out there <laughs> that are, um, just for the reasons that you just outlined. But that being said, if, if he did it fairly, and it seems like he did, then I think the fair thing to do is to reinstate the records, right? Even if a partner of Guinness says, okay, you know, I, we still think it's wrong. And, and it's okay for them to maintain that, right? It, it's, yeah. they're two separate entities at the end of the day. So, yeah, I, I personally do not like him very much, but do I think that this is an okay decision, a, a fair decision? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fair, you know, and, and, uh, here's hoping that, you know, he, he doesn't, this doesn't encourage him to cheat in the future. You know, like he, he thinks like maybe he can get away with it now that we, that we learn to kind of separate the, the creators or rather the record holders from, from their accomplishments. You know, um, I think we all kind of need to step away in a lot of like different scenarios, step away from the person, um, and, and analyze the facts for what they are. Yeah. Right? I think that's what Guinness did. They, they looked at the facts and, it's not that they said, like, he's totally clear. That they just said, we haven't found enough evidence to say that he cheated. Which, to me, sounds like they found some evidence. But it wasn't enough by their standards to say definitively he cheated. That's right. how I read it. Right. I mean, it's not, it's, you know, it, it's innocent until proven guilty, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's kind of the way we operate here. It's not guilty until proven innocent. And I like to see this type of scenario. I, I would like to see it more often, not only in video games, but everywhere, to be honest, but uh, not to get political or anything. But I think this was this, I get like overall, I, it's fair. Um, and, and it, it's by design, by their logic, I, I think uh, they did the, the right thing. So yeah. kudos to Guinness and uh, kudos to, I guess, congratulations to Billy Mitchell. <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. Again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moving on to our fourth news story. This one's a little bit more uh, lighthearted, I suppose. There's going to be a new Pokemon Snap game coming out, guys. It's called, appropriately, New Pokemon Snap. And it's oh. coming exclusively to Nintendo Switch. The Pokemon Company announced that on Wednesday during their Pokemon Presents broadcast. Uh, according to the company, new Pokemon Snap will be based on Pokemon Snap, which was originally released on Nintendo 64 in 1999. Not much else is known about the game. It seems like they're going to be incorporating Pokemon from multiple regions across generations. That's great, I guess. Are you guys excited for new Pokemon Snap? Thomas, are you excited for this game? Uh, I So, I didn't play the original Pokemon Snap. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can, uh, you can go ahead and read me now for it. But, um, I do. I... I mean, like, I think it'll be interesting to, like, kind of jump into it. I will say, though, that recently I haven't been, like, the most excited with Pokemon games in general. Um, I don't know that they've they've made a lot of weird, like, strategic steps with this, the franchise. And so, like, I, like, if the game comes out at $60, I probably am not going to get it. Um, but if it comes out at, you know, 20 30 bucks, uh, I'll probably end up picking it up and seeing, like, you know, how the whole, like, Pokemon Snap thing works out. I do think it's also a little weird that we live in an era of smartphones and we have Pokemon Go, um, and they didn't somehow try to incorporate it with that. But, you know, 
I, I am not a, a developer at Game Freak and Nintendo, so. Yeah, you have to imagine that they'll probably work with Niantic, because they've done this before, right? Like, with the, uh, whatever the last generation was, Sword, Sword and Shield? Yeah. yeah. That they, they did this promo with, uh, this Meltan Pokemon. Remember that? Melmetal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. ugly. Yeah, it's very ugly. <laughs> but they, they kind of released this game, or they released that Pokemon in Pokemon Go first without any context, and then turned out that this was going to be a new Pokemon, uh, to be incorporated in Pokemon Sword and Shield. So it was a nice kind of like promotional thing. I, I have to imagine that they're going to, they're going to do that with uh, new Pokemon Snap somehow. Maybe they'll toss you like a, your trainer in Pokemon Go, like a camera or something and say, Hey, now you can do like, you could photograph the Pokemon that you've caught on the go and you could photograph them kind of like some AR thing. Um, I, I don't know. It, it seems reasonable, but I, I, I can imagine them doing like some, if they don't have it already, I don't, I don't play Pokemon Go, but, uh, some kind of Pokemon, what was it called? Amy? Amy thing? Or oh, like, and me Pokemon Amy, yeah. Ami, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you can kind of like pet them and, uh, toss them an apple or something. Mm. So, I don't know. Sean, are you excited for a new Pokemon Snap? Yes. I have wanted a new Pokemon Snap since I finished the first game back when it came out in 1999. I was like, wow, that was really great. I can't wait for the next one. And then <laughs> the GameCube came and I heard nothing. And then the Wii came and nothing. And then the Wii U came. The Wii U, the perfect opportunity, nothing. And then finally get on the Switch. So, uh, I hate the title, New Pokemon Snap. That's awful. I thought we, we dropped that whole new title thing back in the Wii U and the Wii days, where it's like New Super Mario Brothers and all that crap. I thought we got rid of that. And, and then the confusion with the, uh, new Nintendo 3DS. Yeah, exactly. That could be, <laughs> stop putting new in front of it. Just say Pokemon Snap 2. <laughs> you know? Put put a put a I'm excited out. for new Breath of the Wild. Oh god! <laughs> like they call it like Pokemon Snap Mystery Island. You know, just like, give it a subtitle like something besides new Pokemon Snap. It's terrible, but not a lot of no, lot of, not enough about this is known for me to get super excited about it. All we have is like what's well, most likely a CG trailer, kind of just showing off the experience they kind of want you to have, just kind of get you interested and. Show some of the Pokemon you'll be able to take pictures of, which is cool. Um, it'll be interesting to see if this is going to be on rails or open world. Like the original Pokemon Snap, you were like on this like little go kart, and it like you went through a track and you would take pictures of things as you went. But are we still going to be on that, or are we going to be able to walk around on foot? I think that'd be cool. It looks like they're taking inspiration from the the Dino Balls in Jurassic World. Remember those things where... Oh, God. Yeah. The weird gyro yeah. things. The gy- gyro... Th- yeah, 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 yeah. Gyrospheres, I think they're called, mm-hmm. right? And it, it seems that way. They have a new protagonist, and he's in the little cockpit there. So, yeah, I, I think that it might be open-world, quote-unquote, level design, which, which is awesome. I'm just... The visuals... I, I, you know, this is just my opinion. I don't, I don't like the visuals very much. I think it's kind of, I don't know, like too cartoon. I don't know. It's just. Well, I mean, that's. 
how Pokemon always looked. Except in that yeah. Pikachu movie in which everything looked realistic. And that worked for some of the Pokemon. Like, Bulbasaur looks adorable. And it doesn't work for other Pokemon. Like most everything else. I think maybe what I mean by that is that it, it seems video game e and that like the, when the Pikachu was eating the apple, it wasn't really eating the apple. It was like putting its mouth down to the apple and there was like, a uh, little bite mark, you know, and, and it's like, uh, like little things like that. I mean, I'm playing the last of us part two right now. Yeah. <laughs> so when I see things like that, I'm like, uh, you know, it's like such a video game. <laughs> so Game Freak just needs to make Last of Us Part Two of a Pokemon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, must snap. Very a very doom and gloom. Everything is going to hell. Pokemon game. All the pictures you take are on black and white. Um, right. <laughs> right, right, right. You have murdering Pikachu. Sad. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Out for revenge. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of things kind of coming back from the dead, we have a new Crash Bandicoot coming, guys. Uh, it's looking likely that Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, will be announced during Monday's Summer Game Fest Developer Showcase. After the game's box art made its way onto the internet, low-res screenshots from the reveal trailer are now on the web. The images confirm a PlayStation 4 release date of October 9th, 2020, as well as new masks and pre-order bonuses. The screenshots also confirm that you get to play as Cortex, which is Crash Bandicoot's longtime nemesis, alongside Coco, uh, Crash Bandicoot's sister. We've also got the classic protagonist equipped with a new mask, which was teased in a PlayStation ad a while back, and two totally tubular skins for Crash and Coco if you pre-order digitally. I love how most of the info, or a lot of this, all the information from this leak is just pre-order bonuses. Mm. You know, <laughs> like, like it's just wow. Thanks. Uh, so, are you excited for a new main entry Crash Bandicoot games? We've gotten a lot more. We've gotten a lot of like side entries, right? Like, I, I can't name them off the top of my head, but the ones for GBA. I think there were a couple for Nintendo consoles too. What was, what was that one called? The uh, Vortex. The the. Yeah, the, the, I, I know. Yeah, the, like twisted, the one is called like Vortex. something. I think it's called. Yeah. Uh, which was uh, Cortex and Crash Bandicoot teaming up, kind of like a co-op game. So, uh, get back. Getting back to my earlier question, are you guys excited for a new main entry Crash Bandicoot game, uh, Sean? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. I, I've never been invested in the Crash Bandicoot series. I've never really cared, despite owning a PlayStation. I just and I never really cared about it. All right, that's fair. And Thomas, are you excited for a Crash? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm pretty much in the same boat as Sean. It. I mean, I, it's really weird to. Like, I feel like Crash Bandicoot as a franchise never really had much depth to it, you know, to begin with. Um, and now we are in an era where there are a lot more well-defined platformers out there, mm-hmm. such as Ori. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I, I'm not that excited for it. Yeah, Crash is, at least in modern day, has felt to me like a cash grab, like a nostalgia crash grab. Yeah. Um, and... And I am not fond of that. Like I, 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 I should I should be the one talking. I, I was really into the Spyro Reignited trilogy, and I that in itself was a, a nostalgia cash grab. But you know, like I I I appreciate Toys for Bob 
I like them as a developer, but I think they're kind of like a Blue Point Games developer, and I want them to stay that way, as selfish as that may seem. Like, I, I really like what they do with remaking older games, right. and I want to see them go to other old platformers like Croc or, yes. dare I say, even Banjo-Kazooie, you know, and, and go somewhere there and, and remake it from the ground up. I think that would be great. I think that would be awesome. I don't know if they're owned by Activision. I'm not entirely sure, but it seems like they've been partnering with Activision for a while. Uh, yeah, I, I'm like you guys. I, I don't have a history of Crash. I, I've played some of the Crash games. I, I'm kind of interested in the Crash Bandicoot uh, Reignited Trilogy, but the the reasons that I outlined before kind of keep me away from it. Um, it it's great. You know, I, I, it, it, Toys for Bob is... is Clearly, doing something uh, unprecedented for them as a studio. They're they're making kind of a, a new main entry and a beloved franchise. So I hope that they kind of deliver on it for the for their own sake, um, because I, I do think that they're a great developer. I just and I want to see them do well. So we'll see what happens this, this October. I have no doubt in my mind that this will sell well. Uh, it is Crash and the Crash Bandicoot Reignited trilogy sold like millions of copies. Uh, particularly in the UK for some reason. Don't know why, but it did really well. Hmm. It's it one of those things where, like, you know, one of our franchises in America is, like, super popular somewhere else, and we yeah. understand why. Yeah, oh. uh, there, there are a lot of franchises like that. I think, it, like, some PlayStation-owned studios, um, uh, like Polyphony Digital, uh, is a Japanese studio that makes Gran Turismo. And their games are extremely popular, I think, in the UK. You know, uh, racing well, games are just very popular there. That's because, like, um, Formula One racing is, like, big in the UK, as I understand it. Yeah, 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 yeah. In Europe in general, uh, racing is just a really big thing that they have there. So, cool. You know, I'm, I'm great to see Crash coming back, I guess. <laughs> PS5 news came out this week. This news is regarding the PS5 size. It looks like the PS5 is going to be a big console, guys. And the main reason why it's going to be big is that it needs to prevent the heat malfunctions that the PS4 frequently has. Matt McLaurin is the vice president of user experience design at PlayStation, and he's been responding to comments about the PS5 reveal on his LinkedIn page earlier this week. While McLaurin... McLaren isn't divulging any big shockers like the PS5's price. He has been willing to give some extra context to the console reveal that Sony did at the PS5 Future of Gaming event. One commenter asked why PS5 needed to be bigger and brokerier, uh, quote unquote, than PS4, and McLaren responded with thermals. This gen is little supercomputers, according to McLaren, while the 7 nanometer process, I think that's nanometer, process delivers amazing heat performance for the power the power is very extreme very extreme oh very extreme too extreme thomas do you care about the ps5 size um i do um mainly for the fact that i keep all of the consoles so i have you know all of the current consoles right now and the size is actually i mean it's not like a make it or break it on as far as like buying it goes but um the size matters because you have to have somewhere to put it and standing up like that thing is 16 inches and then you know sitting on its side it's it's going to be uh quite a challenge finding out where that can go 
that's not, you know, blocking the way. <laughs> so, um, I also think he's kind of talking out of his ass <laughs> as far as it goes for, uh, why it's so big. Um, cause their competitor, um, as far as specs, you know, these specifications go for both consoles, the Series X is stronger in, in most regards. And so it's, if, if they're able to, you know, fit all of those nearly the same parts that the PS5 has into a smaller console, then there's no reason the PS5 can't. Well, it becomes a question of will it overheat, though? Because Xbox has a history of overheating. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess we're, we still have to wait and see, but I, I would hope that by now Xbox has kind of uh, moved away from that. I mean, the, the One X is obviously perfectly fine and hasn't had any, uh, you know, overheating issues on any large scale, so. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Sean, that Xbox does have a president for that, but I think that they've learned from their mistakes. You know, like, just in the similar way that PlayStation learned from the 599 fiasco. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I th- I, I kind of compared both of them in the, sa- in, in the same sense that they were PR nightmares. Um, so, I, I get that. Um, I also think, though, that the PS5, and we'll get to this, we'll touch on this in the topic of the show, but the PS5 and the Xbox Series X are targeting different things from a tech perspective. PS5 is targeting load times, right? So I suppose that that would indicate that it's using different specs, whereas the Xbox Series X is working, is focusing on fidelity uh, and, and frame rate. So, I, I, you know, that may be an explanation for the disparity in their sizes. Uh, I do think that, yeah, it should have been kind of, it, it seems just unpractical, you know, like just, just from a consumer perspective, like why would you make, this gigantic thing, <laughs> just just economic, just from an economic perspective. I mean, like it's it's just harder to transport. Um, you 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 have to ship less, so that's that's just a logistic nightmare, right? It's going to cost you more to ship them from China. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably going to cost you more in parts. Sean, what about what say you? Do you care about the PS5's size, uh, or is, is it or? or I know you're a you're a PC guy, so you're, are you kind of like, well, I you know, doesn't I don't care because I I'm a PC guy. <laughs> I still have interest in the PS5 just because you know they have exclusives that might not come to PC. Uh, but I'm, I'm like Thomas in that its size isn't going to make me decide whether or not I'm going to buy it. Like it's not going to be like, oh, I'm not going to get it now because it's too big. But it it is a concern because where do you put it? Because right now I have the PS4. Uh, sort of in this like little cubby in my uh, entertainment system. And the PS5 could probably fit in there, but I don't, I can't say for certain because it's so bulky. Like, it... Yeah, they, they, I don't think they've released like the actual like size dimensions of it, have they? I, 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 it's just, people are just kind of speculating like a 16 inch type of thing. I think people yeah, are, people it on, have like, been doing it where, oh, Sorry, Sean, but what they were doing was they were getting the USB in the disk drive, and then they were extrapolating that, that oh, information yeah. to. I like they're comparing it like to the controllers to see like how big it is relative to that, but that makes more sense. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you, you guys out. Like I understand that, and for the points that I brought up earlier, I just don't think that it's 
good from a consumer perspective. I mean, the smaller the console, the the better. Oh yeah, I would think. You know, just just from a logistical perspective, it, it just doesn't make any sense. I just and, don't think there's going to be any person who's like I'm not going to get it because it's too big. I think they will. You know, I, I think there'll be there will be people that are kind of like I think I'm thinking from the perspective of, of the general consumer. You know, like maybe they're at Walmart one day. And they're buying games or, or they're buying things for little Timmy. I can use, I can say Timmy because Timmy's in on the podcast this week. <laughs> I, they're, they're buying things for little Timmy, right? And they already have a cart full of nonsense. And they, they're looking at the shelf and they're like, oh, look at the PS5. The PS5 is there on the shelf. And they look at the Xbox Series X and it's just a nice little neat package. Well, they're going to go, well, I'm going to get this nice little neat package. Because it fits in my cart. I think the Consumer, consumers are like this. Consumers, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, you're you're like the PR guy, so you know consumers better than probably I do. But I I would assume like the opposite would happen. Like they see the PS5 and the Xbox next to each other. Like, oh well, the PS5 box is bigger, thus it's better because there's more stuff in it. Yeah, yeah, you know? that's a good point. I I, I I get I hear that. I think ultimately. When it comes to that, though, it'll come to price. Like they'll, yeah. they'll put it in the car or whatever, but they'll look at the two consoles in the end of the day and they'll be like, "Oh, the PS5 is a hundred dollars more. Get in the Xbox Series X or, or vice versa." Yeah, so exactly. It'll come the, down to price. The size, the size. It. I think it will matter, but it, I don't think it'll matter significantly. The price will matter way more, uh, and in a lot of other things like backwards compatibility, which. Uh, Xbox has already said that the Xbox Series X, X will have. Um, so, yeah, it remains to be seen. But uh, I, I know for one, I will be buying a PS5. I, I can fit that in my entertainment system. Barely. Just barely. But I can. It, it, it's just, it is a predicament that you brought up, Thomas, in that I, like you, connect collect all of my consoles. So, right. when the PS6 comes out, inevitably... Where the hell am I going to put this thing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, it, know? It, it, you know what? What sucks is like I mean, like it it kind of ruins like the uniformity of it, like for collectors too. Because like if you think like you kind of want like a nice even spaces in between all of your consoles, and then when you've got one that's like you know four or five inches bigger than like all of your other ones, and you're like, well, what? Like, and, and now I have to like kind of like rearrange it and give it a bigger space but now it's not going to look as like uniform with everything else so yeah yeah i mean it, it's funny and not not too long ago i i actually put my ps2 my ps3 and my ps4 like side by side and i had the the launch ps3 i was very i was not a very smart kid back then <laughs> um and and the thing is just an eyesore like it it, it, it isn't you know that different looking than than say the ps2 but it just feels like thicker I, i'm not a fan of like the curvature of it like i yeah I, eh, I don't like it it just feels like it's taking up too much space so if i feel that way with the ps3 i have a feeling that i might feel that way with the ps5 but i don't know remains to be seen i, I i'm still excited for ps5 i'll still get one eventually you know but I'll just have to make the space for it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some more games. Noted horror insider Dusk Gollum 
has taken to Twitter recently to offer some context as to why plans seem to have changed at Capcom regarding Resident Evil 8's reported cross-generational development. Dusk says, okay, I got some clarification on why they made Resident Evil 8 next-gen only when it was supposed to be cross-gen previously. With the updated graphic fidelity overhaul they're doing, still in progress, the way Resident Evil 8 was designed led to past-gen consoles having a lot of pop-in long texture loads load times because the game has you traveling through most of the village and had a lot of load zones. Because there's a bigger focus on exploration, this would lead to last-gen console versions having notable issues, and it was holding back how pretty they would make certain scenes. So they decided to drop last-gen versions of the game to make it so the game had no loading at all, not limited by last-gen hardware, and pushed the graphical overhaul further without the limitations of last-gen tech in mind. I do want to point out, before I ask you guys a question, that previous-gen, or rather current-gen, had a lot of cross-gen titles uh, launched, right? So we had, I think, Advanced Warfare was cross-gen, Assassin's Creed, Pirate, what was it? Black Flag was cross gen. GTA said Five. GTA Five. Now be multiple, multiple gen crossing. Like. Dragon's Age, Dragon Age Inquisition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there is a precedent for that, but Capcom decided not to follow in that direction, not go in that direction. So what do you make of that? What do you make of Capcom's admittedly bold decision here, Sean? Start us off. Um, yeah, I think I agree with that. I think it's a good way to go. I don't like the idea of cross-gen games because it the game is always going to be held back by the last gen. It it doesn't make sense to me. I don't like it. So for them to do that, it's not going to be a very popular decision because there's some people who are like, oh, I'm not. I didn't plan to get a PS5 or an uh, Xbox. I, I can't. I, is it the Series X or is it the Xbox One that we're going into? Xbox Series, Series X. X. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not getting a PS5 or Series X anytime soon. So what do I have to wait on uh, Resident Evil 8 now? It's like, yeah, unless you want to put get on PC, which is an option. Um, and what it sounds like is that if they had stuck with um, cross-gen mentality, they would have had to make some uh, compromises in their vision. Like they said, like we now we get to make things prettier in some of the scenes and we, uh, Bigger exploration uh, focus, so we don't want as many load times. I think it's a good decision. I agree with it. It's not going to be a popular one, but I think it's the right one. Thomas, what do you make of uh, Capcom's decision here? Do you share in Sean's sentiments? Um, sort of. So I'm of the opinion that cross-gen isn't the worst thing on the planet. Um, like Like you said, we clearly have a precedent for it. And I, you know, when it comes to, like, releasing early in a new console generation, um, if you're going to stay exclusive to that console generation, you're going to take a financial, not not necessarily a financial hit, but you're not going to make as much money as a company as you would if you were to release it on the previous generation. Right. Um, for the main fact that, you know, there's obviously going to be a lot more PS4s and Xbox Ones than there are going to be Series X and PS5s when this game comes out. Um, 
So I like it's kind of good to see that like Capcom's not just in it like we're making this for money type of scenario, but um I think they're going to exclude a lot of people. I mean think think of something like and this is a little bit of a, a stretch I would I guess, but think of something like Half Life Alex that came out on VR and so now you have like this entry point that's kind of like this paywall that's kind of blocking people from being able to enjoy that game. Um, mm-hmm. cause there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to be able to play. Like there are people now that are just now upgrading to Xbox one and PS4. Um, and they, you know, they kind of missed an entire generation of gaming. And so it's, it, you know, it, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to be able to enjoy it, um, right from the get go or even for several years. Yeah. I mean, I think you bring up a good point, Thomas, in that. Look at Half-Life Alex. I I feel like people are not talking about that game, even though it got a lot of critical acclaim. There is supposed to be a lot of like lore uh, that that kind of implies things about Half-Life Two in the game too. And uh, admittedly, I'm not in that world. I'm not a part of the Half-Life community. I've never played a Half-Life game, but I. I, you guys can, Sean. I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think this game is as popular as it could have been if it were a standalone title, you know, on on Steam. And by, what I mean by that, it is a standalone title on Steam. If it were a non VR experience on Steam, uh, oh yeah, of course. Like the more platforms and ways you can access it, the more popular it's going to be. I also think part of Half Life Alex's success was because it was VR. And it was attracting people who were like, oh, I want to play this new VR game that's supposed to be an actual good VR game. I want to play it. Even though they might not have any interest in the Half-Life series itself, they might have jumped on to Alex because it's like, oh, well, that's a good quality title. And, you know, even so, um, uh, what's name? Valve has said, you know, we're sure people are going to try to mod this game to be played without VR. And I think they've either done it already or they've made a lot of headway doing that. So even if you don't have VR... People are trying to make the option for you to play it without VR. So. Yeah, it'll come eventually. I mean, the Half-Life community is just so creative and also huge. <laughs> so yeah. it, it'll happen. It's an inevitability. I, 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 I get that. You know, I, I, I get that too. I, from a business perspective, Thomas, you pointed out, this doesn't make any sense, right? Like you have huge player base on PS4. You have over 100 million consoles sold. Why wouldn't you release on that console, right? Like it, it just, mm-hmm. from a financial perspective, from a marketing perspective, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But that being said, when you release on a console that doesn't have a lot of games on it, you have a lot of ad- uh, adopters of that particular game. If Especially if it's a triple A experience like Resident Evil, which we can all expect it to be, right? And we saw this with the Switch, right? A lot of their earlier games, like launch window games, were just a ton of people picked them up just because there weren't many games on the platform. Look at Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Don't tell me to look at that game. That's a <laughs> game. I enjoyed it, but I hate that I enjoyed it. <laughs> the, the thing about that game is, and, and this is my opinion, of course, I don't think it would have been, if financially, uh, sales-wise, I don't think it would have been as successful as, as it was if it didn't release within that launch window. If it had released, like, like now, for instance, I don't think it would have been as successful, you know, and, and that's just, 
a matter of people on the Switch didn't have a lot of games to play. With Resident Evil 8, 8, right? Yeah, 8 coming out in 2021, there are not going to be a lot of games to play on uh, PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. So they're probably figuring, hey, a lot of people are going to buy these consoles, and a lot of people are going to buy these games because they don't have a lot of games to play on their consoles. So it, it, it's it's a gamble for sure, and I like Capcom. I like to see Capcom taking a gamble, especially since only half a decade ago they were in kind of in financial straits, right? Like they were they were they weren't doing well. They laid off mm-hmm. many people. So I like to see Capcom in this position again. If there's one good you know, nugget of of good news from this, it's just Capcom is is well enough now that they can take these financial risks. So that's great. Uh, so yeah, I, I I hope that Resident Evil Eight is kind of uh, it, it f- fulfills the pedigree that Resident Evil Seven uh, established because Resident Evil Seven was a great game, uh, first person game, and I hope they they kind of deliver on the promise of uh, Resident Evil in first person. Let's talk about arguably the biggest news that happened this past week. This one's EA Play Live. This is a very confusing event name, by the way, because I think it's typically typically called EA Play, right? The EA Play event. Yeah. So now they call it EA Play Live. All right. Whatever. Even though it's all recorded. Yeah. It's, it's, yes. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't the other ones be Play Live? Right. This one just be Play. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> EA, what are you doing? <laughs> all right. Start us off with Skate. Skate is back. Uh, the collective internet seems to have lost its mind. Uh, and this is because after Skate 3 released, there was no... Everyone kind of expected a Skate 4 and it, nothing. Not a lot of details regarding Skate, whatever this new Skate is. Supposedly it's Skate 4. We didn't even get a of, title card for Skate 4. Yeah, was, two guys like, hey, we're making Skate 4. <laughs> that is the least confirmed game that could be short of not saying anything. That game yeah. could be canceled today, yeah. and it'd be very—it'd be like, yeah, of course it is, because nothing's yeah. nothing set in stone. You got you only got a yeah, title card. It just—it it, it almost seemed like they had just gotten told that, like, they're like, here, jump on camera and say skate's back. And right? like, Wait, skate's back? <laughs> <laughs> at least like pull like MS Paint and like write Skate Four on it. Like, at least that's something. Yeah, at least a logo. You know, like, yeah. come on, like, what are you guys doing? This must have been something that like they just thought about, you know, like yeah. a couple a couple of weeks ago, you know. And this is something so far out that we won't see it until twenty twenty eight at the yeah. earliest, you know. This should uh, not have been something to close out the show with, though. It, it's fine if yeah. they wanted to announce it, but like this was like their big finisher. Yeah, really? I, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. The, the whole the whole event it was well produced, but. I don't know. There were some things in here that it didn't. I didn't buy it well with, especially coming out from the PS5 event, which was just almost perfect. This seems weird. Um, Apex Legends coming to Switch with crossplay, pretty big deal for Apex Legends and the Apex Legends community. Uh, the game is being ported to Nintendo Switch, and there's going to be cross-platform play uh, for everyone, which is great. Joseph Ferris. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He uh, briefly discussed his game, his studio's new co-op game, It Takes Two. This game releases in 2021. 
If you don't know, Joseph Ferries, uh, he created games like Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, and A Way Out, both of which were also co-op games. He has a Indie game studio Zoink Games, which was responsible for Flipping Death and Zombie Vikings, will maintain its spooky and quirky pedigree with the new upcoming adventure called Lost in Random. Finally, EA provided us with our first look at Star Wars Squadron, which it, it calls the definitive Star Wars space combat experience. The game is scheduled to launch on October 2nd for $39.99 on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC via Steam, Origin, and Epic Games Store. It will also be compatible with PlayStation VR and PC VR systems and includes cross-play support across all platforms. All right. With all that out of the way, did anything from EA's Play Live event actually excite you? Thomas? Um... So I, yes, but this is because I kind of read between the lines. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but it, it, pretty much every single game that they announced, they said is coming to Steam, um, as well as like transporting a lot of their already existing franchises to Steam. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, with that said, like I, th- this is my tinfoil hat on, but it kind of sounds like they might be trying to, uh, dissolve Origin. Um, and that's kind of what I was most excited about. <laughs> so at the, be at the fair minimum, it's going to become like a uh, you play where it's, it's not a storefront itself. It's just more something that runs in the background, which is what they're doing now. Cause if you get an EA game on steam, it has origin run in the background. Oh, does it? Yeah. Okay. As far as like actual games go, like things that were announced, I, I think it takes two is probably the thing that I was most excited about from everything. Um, the, sh- the show was just kind of, lackluster in most ways and it it didn't seem like they had a lot to actually show um as we saw like the uh the little uh film reel of games still in development that are like didn't even have textures which was kind of strange so yeah i I don't know there wasn't a lot there to be excited about and sean did anything stick out to you not really uh there might be something that they announced that I would have liked, but like, I found it really hard to pay attention to that show. It was so dull. And EA has this habit of talking itself up. Like it's this definitive, it's games are the definitive formative experiences of everyone's lives. Like everyone can point to the point in which they became the person they are today because of, because I played Skate 3 or I played The Sims or, you know, and it's like, I'm sure that happens for some people, but Jesus Christ, EA loves to do that. Just like, oh, look how great we are. Look how life-affirming our games are. Like, just make a fun game and say your game is fun. Just do that. Don't tell me how how wonderful your games are for society. Just just let that be something else. But EA loves to they love to talk themselves up uh, rather than let their games do the talking. And I understand why they did it this year because their games really didn't do any talking. Uh, <laughs> it takes two could be good. Um, I did enjoy Brothers. I didn't play the uh, Prison Break one, but I have seen that it play. That one was really good. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, it looks fun. Um, he definitely has a type, but no one else is really doing this kind of thing where it's like asymmetrical co-op. So 
I, I understand why he would keep doing it. He's, he's the only game in town. Keep doing it. Um, yeah. Apex Legends come to Switch. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. I, I can't imagine playing a competitive game on the Switch, but people do it with like Overwatch and um, Rocket League and all the other games and Fortnite. So. Yeah, it, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see Switch players versus PC players in Apex. That's the thing. Like, are they going to like <laughs> separate people into different groups? Because historically speaking, you can't pit a PC player against a, a console player. Not because the two players are better than one another. It's just PC has more control with the aiming that it makes it, you're not going to beat them in terms of aiming. So, right. It's but yeah, overall Star Wars squadrons. I don't care. I, I've, I've never liked Star Wars for the space combat. That's never been why I got into it. So it's weird that it costs $40 though. Is it weird that that gives me like concern? Well, they also announced that it doesn't have microtransactions. So they're like, Oh, I mean, yes, like, it, there's a little concern to be had there, I think. But, well, like, when I said, like, $40, I'm like, what is it missing? Because, like, they wouldn't sell it for $40 unless it was not as full of a game as another game. Like, like, it, it, it like, I, I, I think they could have probably just tacked this on to Battlefront 2 and had, like, a, major like space expansion and called it you know squadrons or something that would make you know, like star wars battlefront 2 squadrons yeah um also i don't think they should be rewarded for not having microtransactions that should be the standard and i hate that ea is like hey by the way no microtransactions like you're the ones who do that stuff though you don't get yeah I, I only brought it up for the fact that it was 40 dollars, yeah. so that it's not confusing as like it's 40 dollars, but it has microtransactions uh, okay, it's, it's just just 40 dollars, and it's no like way to try and recoup that you know lost you know extra 20 bucks or whatever well i believe when i see it because ea can be somewhat wordplay oriented like well it doesn't have microtransactions it has minor transactions and surprise <laughs> mechanics but macro transactions. Macro transactions, exactly. We've defined microtransactions as this. So everything we do that's not that is not a microtransaction. Yeah. It's coming out on a lot of platforms though, like that's surprising. Yeah, much. Is it is it coming to Stadia? Probably not. I don't know. It, they, I guess they didn't announce Stadia. And it doesn't look like it's next gen either. No, it doesn't look like it is. It's all uh current gen. I think uh, I think but both PlayStation and Microsoft mandated that this year, most games coming out from now on would have to be compatible with PS5 and Xbox Series X. So they'll, they'll be, you can play them on, you, you can technically play the game, but it's just not optimized, I guess, for yeah. those two consoles. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the whole event was just, I, I didn't watch it actually. I just kind of watched the trailers on, on YouTube. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's EA. I can skip this. That's that's my logic every year when it comes to E three. I just I do not play EA games very often and that's not by by design. I, I just I'm not interested yeah. in EA games. I just don't nothing that they do is interest is I've, interesting to me, except maybe Battlefront. Yeah, I I've kind of fallen into that same pattern where it's like I'm not trying to avoid EA games. It's just most of what they've released lately I'm just like, no, oh, it's not for me. Like Primarily, my EA game experience was to play like Bioware stuff. And what's the last thing Bioware put out? Andromeda, right? Like, so 
another. Yeah, on on the subject of Bioware, it's a little weird that Anthem wasn't talked about since there was supposed to be some kind of. Oh big my god! That's right, that's a game. I forgot that's a thing. Yeah, so that's uh, concerning. Yeah. I mean, if you're still playing Anthem at this point, I I don't know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> the the last point I want to say is just I'm I am actually excited for the Zoink Games uh, title. I played uh, sticking it sticking it to the man. I think it's called, which was released, I think, at the beginning of this gen, and it was fun. I, I, the The comedy was 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 great. The the little jokes and stuff oh, that they told. This one, this yeah, the one with the the dice or the die. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and, and it kind of gives me it kind of gives me like Alice uh, Madness Returns vibes. Yeah, and I, like, like a mix like of like game. American McGee and. Um... Oh god, Psychonauts developer, what are they call it? Double Fine. Double, Double Fine, yeah. Yeah, so like Psychonauts and um American McGee, Alice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I you know, I, I I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's probably gonna be like a twenty dollar title. It'll be ten bucks in two, three years, you know. So I'll probably maybe I'll look into it. Alright, I think that wraps up all the news this week. We have one last story. This one's about Kingdom Hearts Melody of memory. I know you guys aren't big into Kingdom Hearts, right? Right? I know Sean, you're not into it. Thomas, are you into Kingdom Hearts at all? Um so yes. Um however, I am very far behind as far as things go. I I've picked up the uh story so far bundle that has, you know, all of them. Uh but I just started my Kingdom Hearts journey last year where I beat the first game and then I beat Chain of Memories. And I'm working through 358 two days at the moment. Oh my god! So, yeah. So I'm 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 quite far behind, but I do enjoy the franchise. Yes. It. Uh, I will isolate you. It's <laughs> it's going to be a, a long journey. <laughs> yeah. That, what do you make of 358 divided by two? By the way. Um, I don't know why it's divided by two, but it's um it's good. I like seeing like the whole like like inside of the organization is really interesting because up to this point they're they've pretty much just been r- extremely mysterious so it's really cool getting to see like the flip side of that and playing somebody that's not um sora because sora can honestly be pretty annoying at most of the time i agree yeah i i think some of the best memes kingdom hearts memes comes from 358 divided by two that's why i asked you about that you'll you'll probably get to it eventually you'll you'll probably see where the memes become dreams there but uh, (laughs) yeah i i i i in terms of melody and memory okay cool thanks square i guess (laughs) that's all i have to say about that are you excited for melody of memory thomas uh no Uh, so the one thing about kingdom hearts that i don't like so far is just how absolutely convoluted oh god the story is so i mean like it's nice that there's like the you know the whole story so far package which kind of combines everything into you know one easy like experience but i mean if for fans that have like been following this along you know you have games on ps2 you have mobile games you have ds games you have you know psp or slash vita game like there's like it's like all over the place like spread out the timeline isn't chronological like the game's just released in like different patterns and so like i worry that like 
in order to get like more story from Kingdom Hearts that is going to be vital to like, you know, the next core iteration, you're going to have to play this rhythm game, which is really odd. You know they're going to do that. You know they're yeah. going to put something in it like Kyrie it turns out that Kyrie is actually Riku or, or something. I don't know. Yeah. Something ridiculous, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, they're going to do something there with melody of memory and they're going to make it required because that's what square does. Nomura. I don't know what Nomura's thought process is. Every little thing that we release for kingdom hearts, even like the RE coded nonsense, even that has to do with the overarching story somehow, you know, I don't know if you've got the RE coded yet, but it's probably the most throwaway Kingdom Hearts entry ever. It's basically just a retelling of the first game and, and, and a little thing in the in the end. That's it. So I I agree with you. This this franchise is just Japanese uh, storytelling, I think, to a T. And I, don't don't you know, Japanese people don't take this the wrong way. I I do not have anything against Japanese people. I am married to a Japanese person. So take that as you will. But Japanese storytelling just seems to be this way where it kind of puts a lot of lore and uh, character building and focuses on the characters and their interactions with each other and, uh, you know, kind of convoluted stories. And that's just the epitome. Kingdom Hearts is the epitome of that. Um, And I'm not that big of a fan of it. That being said, I think Kyrie looks cute. So (laughs) here we go. All right, let's move on to the topic of the show. This week's topic is about next gen, specifically next gen loading times. Our topic, our question for this topic of the show is, will eliminating loading times make a meaningful difference in how we play and enjoy games in the future? This has to do with a new story regarding for Horizon Forbidden West. This was announced at the PlayStation 5 event last week. Sony released a small follow-up dive into the sequel that reveals a few more tidbits, uh, it, namely one of them being that Horizon Forbidden West is going to come out in 2021, but that's not what we're going to talk about. Forbidden, the director of the game, Math, I cannot say this name for the life of me, Mathijus, Mathijus D. Jongi, I don't know. Jonge. Sorry, sorry, Forbidden West director. I am so sorry. (laughs) I am so sorry. I just cannot pronounce your name. Uh, He, well, this guy (laughs) shared the same trailer that was shown at this PS5 event, but he offered some commentary regarding it. He said that the PS5's SSD solid state solid state drive will be there will be virtually no loading screens. So basically, if you open up a map to fast travel. You can do it almost instantaneously. Kind of begs the question, Sean, what do you think? Will eliminating loading times make a meaningful difference in how we enjoy games in the future? Nah. Uh, uh, Well, the thing is that he says there will be virtually no loading screens. And now he could just mean screens, times, in general, Loading in general, like you just load in the game and there's no complete loading time between that and when you turn off the game. But a lot of games will have loading screens, but they'll like hide them. For example, God of War, um, very few loading screens, if any, that I can remember. 
But what would happen... Yeah, you can actually you can play from start to finish with no loading screens, actually. Exactly. But what it does is that when you're going into a new area, it has Kratos kind of like do like this little squeeze into like this crevasse to slowly make his way over. And during that time, that's when the game is loading. Or when you're traveling to Bifrost, it takes a while because it's loading a new area. So it has loading screens, but it's hiding them, which I think works. I don't mind loading screens, though, just because I can usually use that time to, like, take a drink, eat a chip, you know, do something besides play the game, take a break. Uh, so I don't think it's going to make a meaningful difference. Now, what I do think will make a difference, to me at least, is not that we won't have loading screens, but that it will reduce texture pop-in. You know, like when you, you're playing the game and then a cutscene starts, and all of a sudden everything loads in but doesn't load in all at once. So it get like this blobby phase comes in and then like the textures will come in over it. And it just looks, especially like in Unreal games. Unreal, Unreal Engine does that a lot. And so that can kind of take you out of the moment for like, for just a quick second, but it's like, oh, that looked really bad. Will it make a difference between whether or not I love a game or like a game? No. Well, I'm like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. But, like Thomas said, you can play God of War from start to finish without any loading screens. But, like, I don't really notice that as, as them being gone. It's just like, oh, there's no loading screens. So, so what, what, so I think what, he's kind of trying to say is like, yeah, of course, like there's not going to be loading screens, but um, you know, of course, in like the God of War sense, you can play without loading screens. However, there is fast travel in God of War. And should you do the fast travel, um, there's a loading screen after you do that. Yeah. So he, I think he's saying that like, you know, basically you'll open up the map and once you hit fast travel, the map, it's basically like the map will close and you're there rather than like seeing a loading screen between, you know, from here, from point A to point B. Most, I think what most likely will happen is that fast travel will have like an animation. Like it might be like a two second animation, but that will be the load time. Yeah, it, it will be. The, I, that, I think that'll be kind of like the next challenge is like, how do we handle no loading screens, you know? Um, cause like you, like you were saying, you know, like in, in God of War, like he's crawling through a crevice or like even further back, like think Mass Effect when you're like in the Citadel and you take an elevator. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's your loading screen. And so now it's going to be like, well, we don't have to do those things. So how do we tackle this now? How do we tackle the, you know, Aloy literally teleporting across the map with no loading screen to kind of make that break? You know, what's, so, so there has to be something there um, as far as it goes. Um, yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, you guys bring up a lot of good points. And in, in terms of what you ask, Thomas, uh, or, or rather what you question, uh, I think we've all seen the Ratchet and Clank, uh, what is it, Rift in Time trailer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And in this particular trailer, a developer, Mike Bithel, he did games like Volume, Thomas Was Alone. He pointed out that in that particular game, you can tell when there's a loading screen in that when Ratchet and Clank are going through a vortex, in between that, there's a static image there. And that static image is the loading screen. And it's, it's almost, we can't really tell. It's almost instantaneous. Yeah, it's, it's literal, like, one to two seconds. Yeah. Right, right. 
But the way that developers kind of work around it is they put a static image that is exactly what the next setting is. Well, in this particular case, it's like dimensions, right? So they put up a static image of that dimension. And then once the loading is over, they animate the dimension, you know, which is clever. I think that's cool. But I, right. I don't I don't think that other developers have that type of ingenuity, you know. So it is it is interesting to see what developers will do uh, if when presented with an opportunity. I also want with this opportunity, I also want to point out that uh, Sean, you're a big fan of Bloodborne, right? Yeah. Oh, I see what you're going for. Bloodborne has a lot of loading screens, a lot of long loading screens, right? Yeah, it had infamously long load times when it first released. And even after they fixed it, it was still long, like 15-second load screens. Mm-hmm. So when given the prospect of Bloodborne 2, you know, and, and faster loading screens in Bloodborne 2, would that change your mind? I would definitely really enjoy that in Bloodborne 2. However... I don't want loading screens to go away for Bloodborne or any Souls game because off whenever you have a loading screen in those games, you have like a little like a item description on like the screen. And it's like a randomized one, and like you get to read a little bit about the lore and stuff like that. It's like, oh, that's that? true. Yeah, that that's true. Because like I know a lot of games during their loading screens put like tool tips yeah. or like you know like little hints and tricks. So like now those things are gonna have to find a new home. Mm-hmm. They try to make they they try to find a way to make the loading screen not a static sure. thing. Yeah, like they try to give you something to do, even if it's just reading. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been going around since forever, right? Like, I think even PS One days that was yeah. a thing. Um, yeah. But so, you're, you're right; it, it would make a difference to me if Bloodborne Two had far uh, faster load times. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so interesting to me that so many Sony first-party studios have been focusing on this, and and for you know second-party developed games um, have been focusing on loading times, and we can kind of trace that trajectory from earlier this generation with, um, you know, well, Bloodborne was kind of an anomaly, but with Uncharted Four, for instance, there are some loading screens, but they have a lot of those crosses, as you say, as you pointed out, Sean. So, like, you know, there, there's a loading screen between that. Um, Last of Us Part Two is kind of like the epitome, or, or rather where, uh, an example of where I think, you know, Sony wants to head with the loading screens and that there are virtually no loading screens in this game. There are some instances right. where, like, you're, you know, uh, you have a partner and they reach their hand you know, down and, and they have like you have to like grapple up a little cliff or something. Mm-hmm. And you can tell there's a loading screen there, right? But for the most part, it's it's pretty seamless. I mean, unless you're just coming in from the main, like you logged out the day before and you're coming in from, um, you're, you're you're continuing from where you started. And that's a loading screen. But in terms of the actual game, there are virtually none. Um, and it, it's nice to juxtapose this. Uh, against the Xbox Series X, and I guess this is what I'm, I was leading up to. When when the Xbox Series X comes out, or, or and, and to the build up to it, Microsoft has been kind of focusing on the graphical fidelity, 
of of its games and of that console. So basically, you're, you're we're hitting that sixty, what is it, sixty FPS, you know, ten, what is it, twelve eighty p, four K graphics across the board, et cetera, et cetera. And they're not very fo- they're not focused, at least to my knowledge, on loading times, or at least I haven't heard that from that camp at all. So, so yes, um, their sole focus isn't on like the loading times or you know have you. Um, however, you also have to remember that the loading times are faster or non-existent due to an SSD, and while perhaps not as fast as Sony's, the Series X will have an SSD in it, so loading times are going to be significantly um, shorter for the Series X as well. And I like to be fair, like the things that I've seen online when, you know, people that are obviously more technologically um, uh, adept than I am um, discuss these things. It's, you know, you're talking like second, like only a few second difference between like what the Series X can load and what the PS5 can load. So, you know, if you're playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla and there's a one second loading screen um, for the PS5, you can imagine like a three or four second loading screen for the Series X. So it's it's going to be like the loading screens are going to be shorter for both consoles um, significantly. Okay, so I'm going to propose this last question to you guys. When it comes to the launch of these two consoles, which do you think will actually be the deciding factor that a lot of consumers have? Will they, in the case of Xbox Series X, will they sacrifice the... Uh, instantaneous or near instantaneous loading times and uh, for, well, near instantaneous loading times for graphical, assumedly higher graphical fidelity and better graphics in general, or will they sacrifice the better graphics in favor of instantaneous loading times? Sean, what do you think? I think if they have all the facts and understand, they would go for graphical fidelity every time. Interesting. I think there's going to be people who are be like, well, I don't really understand what they mean by graphical fidelity, but I understand that five seconds is less than seven seconds. So I'm going to go for the PS5 because it has shorter load times. That, that's a possibility. I think, by and large, it's not going to be a deciding factor. If everything else about the two consoles were equal, and the only two differences were graphical fidelity and loading times, I think people would go for graphical fidelity. Yeah. I, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm in the same boat. Like, I would rather have seven-second loading screen with 60 FPS than a five-second loading screen with 30 FPS. Oh, yeah. You know? Easily. So, um, hmm. unfortunately, I don't think those are going to be the main deciding factors no. when it comes to the next generation. No, so. neither do I. I I'm, yeah, let me, get that out that way. let me get that out of the way. Like, I don't think that this that that's going to make a huge difference. You know, I do think that there are people out there that, yeah, it might, you know, like tech nerds <laughs> for lack of a better term. Right. But yeah, I think in terms of the general consumer, maybe they'll see something that's prettier and they'll go, Whoa, that's prettier. I'm going to get the Xbox series X, you know, but at the end of the day, the consoles, I think were maybe this isn't by design, but the consoles are, have always been, very on on par with one another. There hasn't really been huge difference in quality in terms of the games. 
you know, uh, you can kind of point things out here and there, 30 FPS, 60 FPS on this console, that console. But those are more most often rarities. Most of the time, it's kind of like it, it, it just hits 30 FPS across all platforms, you know, even on PC. And that's just because they, they find it easier for it to run. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting in particular, Sean, because I know that you're so into Souls games and that you, that you don't mind loading times. I thought it would be the opposite going into I, the conversation. You know, of but, course, I, I prefer short loading times, but they, other than the Bloodborne, they've never been so long that I've been annoyed by them. Because, like I said, I usually use load times to do something else, like reply mm-hmm. to a text, you know, drink a drink of water, pet the cat, you know, just something quick yeah. while it loads in. Yeah, I think I think there'll be more. I, I think it'll really just depend on the game as far as like you know loading how the loading times go. Like something cinematic, for instance, again, like The Last of Us, like. Yeah, sure, you don't want any loading screens. You don't want to have to be worried about loading because you want to be immersed in this experience, right? Versus, like, I'm playing Apex Legends. Who cares if, you know, I have to load into, you know, the map or, you know, whatever it is. Um, like, that. that's not as big a deal as, you know, something that maybe is going to break immersion if you have a loading screen in it. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about it. It'll make, it'll make the most difference in open world games, loading time thing. Because if at any point you have to load time, it feels like you're going into another section, another world, and it doesn't feel as open world ex- exploration anymore. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's why I brought up like the Soulsborne games, in that they're they, from what I could tell, they're usually pretty open in design. They're, it's fairly linear, but they're they're technically yeah. pretty, they're like semi open, right? And you can you can kind of go here and there, um, but I've seen streams and stuff of very obviously you're turning a corner and, and like the game stops, you know, cause yeah. it's loading what's around the corner <laughs> in yeah. dark souls two or three. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thomas, I, I think that's a nice closing remark. You know, it, it ultimately depends on the developer and the game. If you want to have a cinematic experience, then I suppose the loading times are going to kind of inhibit that. But since Sony itself seems to empower a lot of cinematic experiences, uh, at least through its first-party catalog. It, it makes sense for them to be pushing that. And I, I really, personally, I can't wait for them to deliver on uh, on first-party experiences that are like Last of Us Part Two that are kind of seamless. Because it really do, does, to wrap it up to what I, you know, my, my comments about Last of Us Part Two earlier this podcast, you know, it, it really does aid to the captivation I don't think that's a word, but the captivation, the captivating uh, feeling that you get when you're in this world, you know, like you're just, you're just so immersed in it. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, Sean, like the open world games would benefit from this immensely, I think too. So great. I'm looking forward to the future. I hope you guys are too. <laughs> well, eventually one day we'll get out of coronavirus, I swear, and, and out of protest and looting and we'll actually... Uh, have new consoles in our. We'll, we'll we'll find a way to fit them, you know, in our uh, little <laughs> cabinets <laughs> and entertainment systems, and we'll play some good games without loading times. All right, that's a wrap for episode forty-seven of the Keen Gamer Podcast. Thank you for joining us, everyone. I have been your host, 
Dave Lozada. You can find me on Twitter at XenoCreator125. You can find me on Instagram at XenoCreator125. You can find me on my website, DavidJosephLozada.com. Sean Ray Byman is here. Where can people find you, Sean? You can find me on Twitter at GingerBread, D-J-I-N-N-G-E-R underscore bread. You can also find me on King Gamer writing from time to time. I do opinion pieces and uh, reviews and guides. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Very cool. And Thomas, where can people find you? Yeah, uh, so I am also on Twitter, like most people in the industry. Um, you can find me at Final Sparrow, which is F-I-N-A-L-S-P-E-R-O. Um, and I also write for King Gamer. I also am running a Twitch channel, so um, I kind of do like an indie focus on that. Um, that's going to be a twitch.tv slash cybersparrow, um, spelled the same way as my Twitter handle. So, Awesome. Go check them out. And we hope to see you in more episodes soon, Thomas. Very great. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me today. Of course. It's a very great conversation that we had today. All right, guys. We'll catch you next week with episode 48. Until then, have yourself a damn good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.